So if you were here last week, you had the great privilege and honor to hear me preach. And if you came back thinking, certainly he won't go two weeks in a row, you're wrong. So you're stuck here. I locked the doors. So at least for the next 30 minutes, you're stuck listening to me again. Don't worry. Matt will be back next week. So all will be normal again. Um, but yeah, as I always like to do, um, I just need God's help in what we're about to do, that this is an awesome opportunity to preach. So even though Patrick just prayed, I want to pray once again uh, for me and for all of us. So let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are. God, that we have the great opportunity and privilege to come before you, um, to be able to study your word, to be able to look and see your, your story throughout the Bible. God, and I pray this week we might be able to understand our part in that, that we might be able to live lives of witness um, to a dying world, that we might be able to spread the, the good news of great joy that we have. So God, empower my speech, um, allow all of us to, to be listeners and to be doers of the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So yeah, like I said, uh, last week I kind of looked from the whole story of, of the Bible, from beginning all the way to the end, and really asked like, the question, what, what is God up to? What is the story of God? And it's, I think, a fundamental question we need to ask and we need to look at, because how we view God, what we think of God, kind of determines how we live. And as I was reading a book, um, there was a guy named Greg Gilbert who has a quote that we're going to be looking at that kind of tells us a little bit about sometimes how contemporary modern view uh, people think of, of God. It's a little bit longer quote, uh, but bear with me as it, as it comes up here. Um, he says, let me introduce you to God. Note the lowercase g. You might want to lower your voice a little before you go in. He might be sleeping now. He's old, you know, and doesn't much understand or like newfangled modern, modern world. His golden days, the one he talks about, uh, next slide, sorry. The one he talks about uh, when you really get, get him going were a long time ago, before most of us were even born. That's back when people cared about what he thought about things and considered him pretty important to their lives. Of course, all that's changed now. Though, and God, poor fellow, just never adjusted very well. Life, life's moved on and passed him by. Now he spends most of his time just hanging in the garden out back. I go out there sometimes to see him, and there we tarry, walking and talking, softly and tenderly among the roses. Anyway, a lot of people still like him, it seems, or at least he manages to keep his poll numbers pretty high. And you'd be surprised how many people even drop by to visit and ask him for things once in a while. But of course, that's all right with him. He's here to help. Thank goodness, all the crankiness you read about sometimes in the old books, you know, having the earth swallowed up, swallow up people, raining fire down on cities, that sort of thing. All that seems to have faded in his old age. Now he's just a good-natured, low-maintenance friend who's really easy to talk to, especially since he never talks back. And when he does, it's usually to tell me through some slightly weirded sign that I, what, what I wanted to do, regardless, is all right by him. That really is the best kind of friend, isn't it? Oh, sure, I know that deep down he wishes I'd be better, more loving, 
less selfish and all that, but he's realistic. He knows I'm human and nobody's perfect, and I'm totally sure he's fine with that. Besides, forgiving people is his job. It's what he does. After all, he's love, right? And I think of love as never judging, only forgiving. That's the God I know, and I wouldn't have him any other way. All right, hold on a sec. Okay, we can go in now. And don't worry, we don't have to stay long. Really, he's grateful for any time he can get. And as, as he writes this um, kind of long passage here, I think it can be true of how we view God, that God's maybe just a good friend, an old man that we just come visit and see and kind of do our time seeing God out, out in the garden or wherever it might be. But I think, as I talked about last week, that when we encounter the true God, the God of the Bible, the God who has revealed himself from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we can't help but see who he is, behold his glory, and change. We, we, we have to rightly see the God of the Bible, that the God who is the creator of all things, that who sustains and provides for everything day in, day out who is the one abundantly gracious and merciful to, to save sinners like me, that when we encounter this God, we can't help but change. And so as last week we kind of looked at the story of God, I want us to look at now the story of God and the story of us. Because it's not just enough to come to church on Sundays and say, okay, that's great. But God involves us in this story, that we are intricate parts of the story and the, the question I left us last week, I want us to kind of think again. It's, is the glory of God the motive, motivating factor for your life? Is the fact that God is glorious, he is beautiful, he is the greatest treasure, does that motivate how you live your life? Does that give you fuel to live this life and say, I want to, in every aspect of my life, whether it be parenting, whether it be my job, whether it just be day in, day out living, I want to glory in who God is. And so, as, as extreme as it sounds, last week we looked at the whole Bible. This week we're just going to look at one verse. So, you never know what you're going to get with me. I'm going to keep you on your toes. And I think this one verse really kind of helps to hone in what our part of the story is, where we fall into this. And it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to be looking at this verse and kind of dissecting it as we go throughout the message today. But it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right. And so just for, for background's sake, right, this is the book of Acts. We have the, the message of Jesus, the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, followed by Acts. And so Jesus has already lived his life. He's lived with his disciples for three years. He's died on the cross, and he's risen again. And now he's kind of giving his final words to his disciples. And as I was thinking about this, putting myself in the shoes of the disciples, I think I would have been a little scared, a little uncertain of, of what was going on, right? You, you chose to follow this person for three years, and for three years, he tells you, 
and performs many, many miracles. He shows signs of the kingdom of God. He tells, he's like, I'm going to die. He actually does die and comes back to life. And now you're thinking like, man, I, I get to be with this guy and the message of, of Jesus. He can say whatever he wants. He's the guy who literally came back to life. He can share whatever he wants. He can show the, the holes in his hands and be like, follow me. But instead, Jesus says, I'm going to ascend to heaven. You guys go. And they're probably thinking like, all right, well, they killed Jesus. They killed God. So what are they going to do to me? Like, they might beat me. They might bully me. They might even kill me. Like, seriously, Jesus? Like, you're leaving now? Like, you're at the, the pinnacle of your, of your fame, and you're choosing to leave now. And so they probably had a lot of fear. They probably had a lot of uncertainty, a lot of angst of what was going on. But in that, Jesus says the first thing I want us to look at about what, what our part of the story is, what, what our responsibility is, is that we receive power. We have received power. And what this means in, in the Greek, the, the word for power is dunamis. And if you understand the first kind of part of that, dunamis is kind of where we get our word dynamite. It's explosive. It's a power that comes with a bang, right? And so he's, he first says, Jesus speaking to his disciples here, you will receive power. Power, power for what? Power to do and, and handle our, our lives how? I think the whole book of Acts is showing the power of God, that God is on mission to show his explosive power in the lives of his disciples. Just giving you kind of a few examples here. In Acts chapter 2, the next chapter, right, we have Peter at Pentecost speaking and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. The good news that Jesus saves people from their sins, and he's doing this to people who put Jesus to death. He's doing this to people who said, crucify Jesus. It's power to proclaim the gospel. Number two, we can also see in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, that this is great boldness. To, to stand before people who just did the same thing to Jesus and are trying to do the same thing to you, to beat you, to kill you, Jesus is, uh, or through the, the Holy Spirit is able to give the disciples power to have this great boldness. Number three, we can also see kind of this power to endure. That as we look at in Acts, Acts chapter 4, James, or it's, it's John and Peter, who share the good news of the gospel, are, are imprisoned, but yet they endure and they rejoice in their suffering. They actually go away thanking God for the suffering that they, they were able to do. We see this also in the martyrdom of Stephen, the power to endure even to the point of death, that as we get to Acts chapter 7, Stephen, a new disciple, shares, shares his faith and ultimately dies because of the proclamation of Jesus. Finally, we see the power of the, of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit to preach all over the world, right? We see from Paul all the way from Acts 9, pretty much to the end of the book, the power to proclaim this good news all over the world. 
My, my favorite example of this is when uh, Paul is in, uh, I think it's Lystra, and then he goes to, or Iconium and Lystra, that he literally goes to share the gospel. And they dislike him. They, they, they don't like what he says. He goes to, I believe it's Lystra, and preaches the gospel there. People hated him from the first town, that they go to where he is at the second town to stone him. They, they, they literally go to kill him. By God's miraculous grace, Paul is saved. And what does he do? He goes back to that same town and preaches the gospel again. Like that, that is power that it's like, it's crazy. And so really what this power looks like is not something that comes with inside of us. It's not something that's like, you know what, like I got enough power to be willing to die. I got enough power to be bold enough to say this. Because we all know in our own selves that power is very short-lived when we face persecution, when we face somebody making fun of us. That power kind of goes out the window. But the power that he's talking about here is this dynamic power given to us that we might be able to explode the message of Jesus. David Platt um, has a very helpful quote that I think uh, is good for us to look at. He says, Nothing is impossible for the people of God who trust in the power of God to accomplish the will of God. That, that, that what he's saying here is, nothing is impossible for those of us who are believers who have this power. That this, it's not a maybe. It's not, oh, you have to be a Christian 10 years. It's for all of us who are believers, we have this power. And for those of us who trust in that power, God can do amazing things as we read about in Acts. But he goes on to say, not just this power, but he goes on to the second point here, that it's power from the Holy Spirit. That, again, like I said, it's not just based on our might. It's not based on, like, I just need to, to grit, grin and bear and get through this. It's not even based on our education. It's, okay, only people who are able to go to seminary have, have kind of this power and ability to, to do these things. It's not even based on our personality, that it's, it's just the outgoing people. It's just the, the people who like to talk to people are going to be the ones who impact the world. And so it's, it's none of that. It's, it's power from the Holy Spirit. And so I believe that everyone who is a believer in Jesus, who is indwelt by, by the Holy Spirit, has the same ability to participate and be a witness to Jesus. Now, it might obviously look a little different from, I'm not going to be the next Paul. I'm not going to go to all these different countries and share the gospel like that. Um, but I think as we look throughout Scripture, as we understand kind of when people encounter God, things change. Their lives change when they encounter the true and living God. And I wrote down a couple examples. We can look at, like I said, the life of Paul. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was radically changed from then, uh, that point forward, willing to endure persecution, beatings, and even death. We can also look at the, the life of Peter. We can look at all of the disciples and apostles and say, man, like, that, was, that was awesome, that was special. But, but before we think, like, oh man, yeah, well, that was maybe just reserved for those special disciple people. Um, those were reserved for, like, really the stories we read about in the Bible. I think there's a lot of stories that we read 
in the Gospels and throughout that talk about somebody doing the same thing. One passage was the demon-possessed man whose name was Legion, that he had these demons in him, Jesus freed him, and he went back to his town and told the story of, like, there is God in flesh who, who did this, who freed me from, from these demons, and now he was able to proclaim, be a witness to these people. We see this in the story of the, the, the Samaritan woman at the well, that they meet at the well, and Jesus speaks and says, hey, I know your life, I know who you are truly. She sees this, what she first thinks of as, as a prophet, somebody who's like, wow, like, they are special. When she realizes he's, Jesus is God, she goes back, tells her whole town, and her town comes to see Jesus because she's like, there must be something special about this guy. But I think a very unique and kind of interesting story that I was thinking about is by the name of Zacchaeus. So if you have parents, or you are parents and you have little kids, you've probably heard this song about Zacchaeus being a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed on top a sycamore tree for Jesus to see, something like that. I haven't heard it in a while. Um, but Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He, he was somebody who actually like, stole money away from the Jewish people so that he could, he could have it himself. He was greedy, he was selfish, that was, that was his life. That was his job. That was his vocation. Until he encounters Jesus. He encounters Jesus and he climbs that tree to see who he is. Jesus invites himself over to his house. <laughs> and Zacchaeus, it says, salvation came upon his household. And it tells this very rich man, Zacchaeus, tax collector, he, gave, he sold half of his possessions. And to anybody he wronged, he was willing to give four times what he wronged back to that person. That's, that's power. That, that, that's radical trans, transformative power that we see when somebody meets Jesus, they are completely different. Right? Like, who, would, who wants to give away half of their possessions and give four times the amount away to somebody that we've wronged? Right? That's, that's not natural for us. That's not easy for any of us to be like, oh, yeah, here you go, take it. But when we meet Jesus, when we encounter Jesus... We're like Zacchaeus in that we can encounter the true and living God that our lives will change. Maybe expanding outside of the Bible, but just looking through history. I, I could tell you countless of people in the first century that I was able to, to read and study about that were willing to give of their lives. They were willing to say, hey, like, I love Jesus this much. If need be, I'm willing to, to die for him. We have other people like John Wycliffe who helped us get the Bible that, that we have today, that he was willing to give of himself so that we could have the Bible in English that we could read. But again, before we think, it's like, oh, well, these are just the, the smart, educated people. These are just the, the people um, that maybe have a seminary degree. But there was one that came to mind called Corrie Ten Boom. If you've heard of her, she lived during... Um, Nazi-occupied um, territory during World War II. And she helped to serve Jews who, who came to her. She would hide them away from, from the Nazis, from the people who would want to seek them out, throw them into concentration camps. And so she was, by her own, um, by her own telling of, of her story, she wasn't anything special. She, didn't, she, didn't, she wasn't the prettiest, she wasn't the smartest, 
she worked with, with her dad at, at a watch, watch shop, and she gave of her time, and when everything was beginning to happen in World War II, she's like, I can't have these people go. I, I, I need to do something. And risking her own life, eventually they found out that, that she was hiding um, Jewish people in, in her store, and so she also went into a concentration camp. She also had to endure uh, the same evils um, that the Jews were facing in that time. But again, that's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not natural for us to be like, oh yeah, uh, for somebody I don't even know, somebody I, I've never met before, I'm going to give of my life and give of my freedom, if need be, for the sake of this person. But again, as we encounter the God of the Bible, I think we can't help but change. When we encounter truly the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is truly, truly God, truly man, willing to die for our sins, when we understand that, we can't help but change. And finally, the, the last point I really want to focus on today is when we encounter this God, we are to be witnesses. He says, to be my witnesses in Acts 1.8. And so the power is specific. It, the purpose is that we might be witnesses of Jesus. Now, there's a great philosopher. I'm not sure how many people have heard him, but he says something like this. With great power comes great responsibility. For those of you who don't know, that's from the movie Spider-Man. It's Uncle Ben telling, as he's about to, to pass, he's about to die, telling Spider-Man, Peter Parker, with great power comes great responsibility. Uncle Ben knew something about Spider-Man. He, he was given great power. He was given great web-slinging power to defeat the enemies. And with that power, there's great responsibility. And I, I think we can look and, and maybe Uncle Ben was interpreting this the same way. But I think with great power, the dynamic power, the explosive power that we have, we have a great responsibility. That we have a great responsibility to be a witness to this dying world that we might be able to demonstrate and declare who Jesus is. Because we really, as believers, we can be a good witness or we can be a bad witness. We can be a good witness who seeks to display Jesus and seeks to live out the truth of the gospel in our life. Or we could be a bad witness. We can be a witness who says, man, like, I'm, I don't want to go through that. I'm a little scared. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous to share the gospel to my coworkers. I don't want to be that weird Christian. Or maybe it's, uh, you know what, like, man, I, I, don't, I don't really want to participate in, in this Bible study or, or this because it's just going to take a lot of my time. It's going to be difficult. And so we can either be a good witness or a bad witness. And what, what he continues on in saying is that it is specific to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, that's it, not just a throwaway couple lines. He's not just talking about, oh, let's, let's throw in some, um, some demographics here. But when I found this out, I thought it was, it was pretty neat that as you read the book of Acts, Luke, the author here, kind of traces out this through the book of Acts, that 
the gospel comes to the disciples, the apostles, when they're in Jerusalem. That the disciples from, from Pentecost are able to grow and hear the word of God. But then in Acts chapter 8 to 12, it's talking about the surrounding region. Right? Jerusalem was, was the main hub, and then the surrounding regions were Judea, Samaria, Caesarea. The next four chapters, Acts 8 to 12, kind of talk about these surrounding regions. And then from Acts 13 to Acts 28, we see the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Paul, in his missionary journeys, was able to go um, from Acts, Acts 13 to 16 to, to share the good news with different, different islands, different providences. And then we get to what would have been known by them as kind of like the, the ends of the, of, the, or, of the world, which would have been Rome. That, that's where Paul ends in Acts 28. He ends in the ends of the earth. And so we see that this is a responsibility. This is a command for us to go from Jerusalem, Judea, ends of the earth, to even where we're now today. The United States, the North Tonawanda, we have the gospel because people have taken seriously the call to be a witness. And so for the last remaining part, I want us to think about a question. Are you a good witness of Jesus? Are we a good witness of Jesus? In our life, would we be able to say, like, yes, I, I was a good witness. I, I stood on trial in my life, and I was a good witness for Jesus. Maybe we're, we're having some, some sense of, oh, and maybe I'm, I'm not. There, there's a couple questions I want us maybe to, to probe in further. First one is, to be a good witness, have you encountered Jesus? Have you truly encountered the God of the Bible, the, the Jesus of the Bible, to be a witness to? This is foundational, to be able to understand our sin, to understand, man, like, we have missed the mark. And it's not just once, it's not just a hundred times, it's not just a thousand times, it's not a million times. We've missed the mark numerous, countless times. And because of this sin, we have been separated from God. And that is not something that we can say, oh, yep, I, I, I can be good enough, I can give enough, I can, whatever I want, work my way to, to Jesus. That, that chasm is far too wide. And so we need to see Jesus as the greatest treasure, the, the one who comes into our life and says, you're not good enough. Frankly, you don't have it in you to be able to reconcile your way to God. And so you need to treasure in Jesus. We, we need to encounter Jesus of the Bible. And maybe you've, you've never gotten to that place. Maybe you've, you've never been to that place where you've truly encountered Jesus. I know myself, Pastor Matt, Tom, we would all love to speak, speak with you about what it means to truly encounter this Jesus, to, to truly encounter this God of the Bible that is radically gracious, who is gloriously in his mercy, um, who, who is holy, 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 as we sang about, that we need to encounter this, this God and see him as the greatest treasure that he is. Maybe um, a question arises of thinking about, are we a good witness? I know for myself is, is this possible? Like, we read about this in, in the Bible. We, we read about 
people like, like Peter or like Paul or like Zacchaeus or, or fill in the blank and we're just like, is this really possible? Is this really po- Can I live like this or is this just like special and unique for them? I think we can. You know why? It doesn't depend on us. It's not our strength, our power. Don't discount or devalue the power that God can give us, the power God has given us in the Holy Spirit. That we can encounter and we can see, for those of us who are Christians, indwelt by the Spirit, that this power is for all of us. This dynamic, dynamite power, this explosive power, is for all of us. It's not just for some elite. It's not just for educated. It's not just for the seminary grads. It's for each and every one of us to have this power. And so I I know myself, this this is a question like, man, like, who am I? Like, if I were to go out and share the gospel with somebody, maybe hostile, maybe, maybe not, who am I? Who, who, who am I? I'm, I'm just a 28-year-old guy who um, grew, in, grew up in Tonawanda. Like, who am I? I'm, I'm nothing special. But, but as we look in the verses here, it is a promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive this. And so finally, the, the last question I want us to think about is, how can I be a better witness? I know myself, this is a question I want to ask myself and for all of us today. How can I, how can we be a better witness? If, if this is God's mission, that his mission is to display his glory all throughout from beginning to end, as we looked at last week, my role, my part of that is to be a witness, is to, to see who this God is and to tell other people about how awesome he is. And so how can I be a better witness. Well, one, one verse uh, in Luke 24 is kind of coming to a conclusion of Jesus's life, and it says, Jesus said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So it's the mission of the people of God to be witnesses through all nations. And another quote from Greg Gilbert, I think, is really, really helpful here. He says, I've always imagined that the color must have drained out of the disciples' faces when they heard that. Talking about that verse. God's purpose was nothing less than the redemption of the world. And here was Jesus telling them that purpose would be accomplished through them. I don't know about you, but that thought makes me feel incredibly inadequate. God intends to bring about his purposes in the world through us. (laughs) Amazing. But if you feel unworthy and inadequate, let me give you some encouragement. You are unworthy. (laughs) You are most certainly inadequate. How's that for encouragement? Look at us, frail, weak, human beings who still struggle against sin every day of our life. And yet Jesus says to us, you will be my witnesses. It is through our proclamation of the gospel, whether through preaching or teaching or conversations over meals with friends, family members, and co-workers, that God has determined 
to save sinners. So it's, it's our responsibility, right? It's not just the responsibility of Matt to preach and, and do that every week. It's not the responsibility of myself or Tom. It's all of us. Like, God is using every single one of us to accomplish his mission. And so I don't want to, to allegorize this text, meaning he, he was specifically speaking to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But what's our Jerusalem? Jerusalem, like I said, was the, the focus point of where they were. Maybe for us, that's family. We, we were born into this specific family. How are you doing as, as a witness to Jesus in your family? Would you say you'd be a good witness or bad witness? Maybe branching out that Jerusalem, uh, from, from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, we look and say, okay, obviously maybe that's not talking specifically about Jerusalem or Judea and Samaria in our life. But what if it's close friends? What if it's coworkers? What if it's our neighbors? How, how are we doing in witnessing to them? How, how are we doing in sharing the good news of Jesus with them? And then lastly, he talks about the ends of the earth. And so whether that's New York, whether that's the U.S., whether that is the ends of the earth that we have in mind, how are we doing with that. And so I, I know um, Matt just spoke about this, but the way that we want to do this as a church is to witness throughout different ages, different demographics, and specifically in North Tonawanda. And so we feel the responsibility, we feel the call from God that we should be witnesses. And so we want to help you as best as we can to, to be the best witnesses you can in your family. But also, we want to give you opportunities to be a witness here in North Tonawanda. And so, even as Matt mentioned before, with our Sunday school that's going on downstairs right now, that it has been the highest growing ministry that we have, that we have so many kids coming each week, and we have an opportunity to demonstrate the gospel to them. Now, that's, that's awesome. A lot of churches don't have kind of that same thing going on, but our children's ministry has been growing both on Sundays and on Thursdays. And that's a great opportunity for us to be witnesses to this generation. That's a great opportunity for us to take what we have seen and be able to share that with kids all throughout North Tonawanda specifically. Um, and so maybe that's something that I don't want to force you, but that's one opportunity for us to say, hey, I want to be a witness, and this is one way for me to do that. Like I said, it's, I'm not, I don't want to twist your arm. It's not, that's not my intention. My intention is that we will take serious what God says and seek to live that out. Because let me tell you, all of us here that are believers, we have this responsibility. We have this opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And let me encourage you, for all of you who are here, you have a better opportunity to, do, to be a witness of Jesus than I do, than Matt does. Because your family knows you better than bo both of us. Your family has seen you grow up. Your family has seen how you've lived. And you have a better opportunity to witness than I do. Like I, I might be able to preach and you might say, oh, I could never do that. But you have the opportunity to live 
a life that represents Jesus better than me, Matt, Tom, anybody else could. You, you have that great, unique gift in your workplace. I have a Bible study with some guys um, on Wednesdays, and they're all smarter than me. They're all engineers. They all know math and science. And I will never be able to be in the same environments as them because I'm not smart enough, because I, I don't understand all the math and engineering and numbers. But they have a unique opportunity to be a witness of Jesus in their workplace, in their homes, in their neighborhoods. And so you guys all have the same op- unique opportunity to be a better witness, a, a witness that's empowered by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. And so, will you join in being a witness in this world? Let us pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, that we want to live and to glorify in your name because you are awesome. You are great, you are mighty, you are creator, and you are redeemer, you are savior. And so, you gotta help us to encounter the, the true God the, the, the real God of Scripture as we've looked at different stories in the Bible, looked at history, people who have encountered the real God are changed. They're changed radically. And so, God, I ask that you will be able to, in each and every one of our hearts, help us to encounter the true God, that we might be able to jump on mission with what God is doing, that we might be able to be witnesses in all spheres of our, our life, whether that be family, whether that be friends, co-workers, neighbors. God, as your word says, you will give us power. You have given us power through the Holy Spirit. And so give us boldness, give us strength, give us endurance in the midst of difficulty. Help us to be witnesses who have seen the good news of Jesus and who want to tell about it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.